Welcome to Coffee and Cartridges, brought to you by CG Magazine. I'm your host, Jordan Biorti. Joining us today are our lovely guests, Brendan Quinn. Hello. And newcomer to the podcast, maybe the first time, maybe the last time, Cole Watson. Oh, I see how it is. Pleasure to be here, Ninja Jordan. <laughs> Whoa, Ninja Jordan is my... <laughs> Those days are long gone, friend. Well, maybe not. We'll see. I got some things. I got some coals in the fire. But that's not what we're here for today. We are here to take a, another deep dive into video game topics. Today, we will be discussing games as platforms. Um, so why to get us started, Cole, why don't you tell us a little bit about this? Because you uh, wanted to bring this up in an episode of uh, Pixels and Ink. So... Why exactly like, were you thinking about this? The reason why I was thinking about this is because uh, I predominantly play multiplayer games. And a recent trend that I was seeing with Battle Royale games and even some single-player games like Monster Hunter that have been coming out recently are really reliant on being games as a platform or games as a service, whichever you prefer. Uh, where instead of creating sequels for these games, devs are like, well... What we want to do is we want to create as massive of a player base as possible and simply just supply them with uh, an endless amount of content, as much content as we can, whether that's in the form of DLC, uh, skins, new quests, all that. Okay, so before we get, I guess, get a little too ahead of ourselves for, I guess, any of our listeners who aren't 100% sure what we're talking about, um, <laughs> let's let's define the basic concept of what a game as a service is so rather than a game that comes out as sort of a complete package um it's more or less something like yeah like monster hunter or uh i guess to a lesser extent metal gear survive or um, gta online gta online exactly yeah so they're they're sort of smaller um experiences that can be built upon and delivered like new content on a more consistent basis. I think if you would relate it to anything, it's a lot uh, similar to like the old MMOs of the days of yore that were a little bit more like that. It was a little bit more about like, you know, getting in every day, playing a little bit, you know, with this sort of like trickle down of content and, you know, Granted, MMOs were built a little bit differently, that that was a little bit more intrinsic to the game design, but it still had that sort of similar, like, concept. Yeah, there's definitely elements in MMOs that have transferred to games as a service, whether that be, like, daily quests, weekly quests, the sort. Yeah, the idea is just to sort of constantly get you in and get you, like, playing for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. As well as keeping you coming back for more and spending more and more money. Yes. Gotta get that moolah. Yeah. Well, let's that that'll that'll uh, bring us into our our next sort of question worth answering is what are the we, let's talk a little bit about the positives and the negatives of a games as service. Now, Cole, you've been a lot a little bit more on the positive side of this spectrum. I know Quinn and I are a hundred percent going to be the curmudgeonly you know old guard gamers who don't want this yeah mm-hmm. yeah well that's that's not a hundred percent true there are um you know there are some positives and negatives that i definitely see to it so so what do you think what are like the good things about this kind of 
uh, like gameplay style? Uh, I would say that it's a very fine-tuned experience. It's one that you jump into and it's, okay, I have the core experience of this is the campaign that they've given me, this is the multiplayer experience that they've given me. But now by making it a game for service, what they do is that they fine-tune everything that those players really enjoy about the game, balance it out more, make it more competitive, make it so that uh, instead of making a sequel where things are going to be changed, uh, new mechanics are going to be implemented, it's just that we're tightening the experience up and we're making it that much more enjoyable for the players who already love this game. Yeah, but is it like really uh, like more fine-tuned? Because if the whole idea is that they can add stuff and change stuff and fix it, then it's not really. like It's, it's, it's more a testing ground. Yes, but that's the... I would say that's the playground of multiplayer games as it is, where uh, developers will make a character, they'll make a weapon, and they and they test it, and they say that, okay, this is great, this is fun, but when it's put into the hands of more competitive players, mm-hmm. ones that want to abuse the system, it's like, ah, <clears throat> oh, this game's actually broken now because of this new implementation. Yeah, but don't so, like don't most like multiplayer experiences do that? Because I, I, you know, I'm at least more aware of like. Like games, I want to say older games too, uh, where you know it had a, a multiplayer experience. They would go in and tweak stuff depending on you know whether or not certain things worked or certain things didn't work. Oh, you you have to with any multiplayer game, but that's for I don't think that's games as a service. I think that's any persistent multiplayer game will constantly have tweaks and balances and new things added. Where games as a yeah. service really gets me is. Uh, things like seasons passes and and on disc DLC and all these other uh, money grabbing things that they're already good to go. This isn't something they're adding in later on. This is stuff they've already got on the back burner ready to cook that they can just piece out to you one bite at a time for little tiny bits of cash rather than giving a big bold update you know every once in a while for a certain amount of money or like the way old expansion packs worked yeah see i i'm inclined to agree with that and uh like on you know on the one hand i can definitely see where um certain kinds of games could benefit from this like like when i was uh reviewing mlb uh the show i no, well no like i actually genuinely kind of thought like you know why are we still releasing these like annual you know serialized sports games when that's that's a perfect example sorry to cut you off of where games as a service or games as a platform would be perfect a hundred percent with sports games because that's a one thing like completely contrary to what i just said actually um yeah that irks me is that you're you're basically paying for roster changes uh, maybe one or two new rule updates, maybe like a slightly expanded or like franchise mode or something. But gameplay tweaks too, like different control yeah. schemes and different stuff like that. But it's it's all built on the same platform that it's been built on for years. I mean, between NHL 07 and 08, there was a huge gap where they did the mm-hmm. analog controls and everything. Okay, fair enough. But everything since then has just been minor tweaks to the same system and- for more money. So yeah, contrary to what I just said, I think that's a prime example of where games. And I'm sure there are like are are definitely like other experiences or other like genres that probably could work on something like that. But then you know, Quinn, you hit it right on the head. Like 
it really is like money is 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 the thing that I think holds it back. And you know, you can definitely see with um, with some of these new like with you know games as service models for a lot of games like like you know Anthem is is kind of having this games as service uh, like mo- like mode to it. Um, Destiny Two tried to have it. Um, yeah. yeah, same with yeah the division. Hell, even games like single player, mostly single player games like Assassin's Creed are going that direction, and that's where it starts to be like, okay, this is just yeah, and that's and that's the whole problem is that you know, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to single out any one entity, but I mean, uh, Ubisoft put out a like a they had a sort of a a, a stockholders conference not too long ago, and their whole like business model yeah. is something of you know changing it to go, uh, going from games to games as service and it's it's sort of a it's a very like short-sighted you know like money desiring model to try and say well hey we're gonna focus less on making games and more making these services that people can subscribe to and try to you know and 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 then it's almost got this like addictive kind of platform right like yeah of course of course it does that's what they're going for and like i totally get it people are forking over money hand in fist i mean what was it uh take two published their quarterly report or whatever last year and like almost half of the revenue came from like DLC, uh, paid editions, you know, people buying in-game currency, yada, yada, yada. So obviously you can sit, th- you can picture the guys in the boardroom going, well, this, we would be stupid. Oh, absolutely. Not but yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's so short-sighted. Like, because... I don't think so though. Why do you think it's well, short-sighted? Oh, uh, Cole, sorry. I keep hearing you wanted to say something. <laughs> Well, with the example of Ubisoft, they have found great success with games of service. There's just no reason for them to really stop. When they look at their Rainbow Six Siege community and how that is growing exponentially year after year, where people are craving new content, whether that be the Outbreak event that was free or whether that be new operators that they can now experiment with in multiplayer – the core fundamental is that this is a game people want to play. They have found genuine enjoyment and they want to give more money. They want to keep playing this game. They want more added into it because there's already that, Mm -hmm. that consensus of this is a great game. We just want more. Oh yeah. And I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It's like even, even Nintendo did it too with like with Splatoon and they nailed it. Like, um, cause that's, that's like, that's the same thing. There's a great core game, but every month, they're adding new weapons, new levels. There's a splat fest that like keeps like keeps players involved, you know. And it's you know it's in that way it's it's smart because you know you keep uh, like satiating people with like co- like constant updates so that when you roll out like an actual paid DLC, people want to pay money for it because now yeah. they you know they think mm-hmm. you guys are on the up and up. Um, and yeah, and that's and that's fine. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, like you can't have like one single thing. Like at, at some point, you're gonna need to sequelize. So, I don't like, know. Look at Counter Strike. Counter Strike has been the same for yeah. years, and people just keep playing it. I'm sure same with like Dota and League haven't changed that much over the years either. Yeah, Neither but look Starcraft. what keeps getting added that people just 
keep getting into. It's the marketplace. Whether it's gun skins or new character skins, people just stay devoted mm-hmm. to these games without jumping off. And now I, I I mostly play single player games, and this is where I feel that we're being left behind. Which again, financially I understand, but it, it yeah. sucks. I don't want all those mechanics um, shoehorned into a nice complete single player oh, experience. Or, or like like I don't I don't give a shit about getting a new skin for my character when I'm just playing myself. I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't want that in, and that's what's happening to, or even just games that don't require multiplayer. Like, look at Red Dead Redemption after this at GTA Online. Like, I guess I can't remember if it's been 100 percent confirmed or not, but like, there's definitely going to be a big oh, multiplayer yeah. I mean, component. Like, to be although to be fair, in that instance, uh, Red Dead One had a multiplayer thing in the same way that like GTA Four had a kind of like rudimentary uh, multiplayer system. Yeah. Like to so you know. But that that I want to say is probably an, an apples to oranges comparison because five really came out of nowhere and like built. I mean, they built a whole like new game essentially within uh, f- like uh, GTA five with the GTA online thing. So, um, but I mean, I, I, my whole fear too is is more on the side of like and and to sort of I guess uh, echo what you're saying there. Um, is that like it's when when perfectly fine single player games get scrapped to become these games of service? You know, like look at the 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 yeah. um, who was it? Uh, it wasn't was it? It wasn't IO uh, the the like single player Star Wars game that was supposed to come out. Oh yeah, um, yeah, I can't remember what it was. something thirteen or whatever. And the, uh, but yeah, that got yeah. completely crushed. And EA wants to so turn it into a games of service thing because that's where the money is. Um, but, you know, to – and this is this is what I think and to sort of answer your question from earlier, the whole reason this isn't sustainable is that if – I mean just look at – when you really look at the game industry, they're trend chasers, right? When the whole loot box thing blew up, every major publisher was trying to find a way to cram loot boxes into their games regardless if it worked or not. Um yeah, well, I mean, that's currently happening with Battle exactly. Royale. Now everyone's trying to have the next sort of like big Battle Royale thing. So to make every game as a game as service, and it, it's it's not going to work because these games are designed for, for constant replayability. Every day you're getting in, you're getting in those login bonuses, you're playing for a bit, you're going after daily challenges or weekly challenges. Mm-hmm. How are you going to devote all that time to like 15 different services you don't you can't yeah. exactly so, it, but it, it all depends on the flavor like that's why mobas are still successful while fps's are a completely separate entity those players just aren't interested in splitting their attention between those two kinds of genres they're just like this is my game that i play all year round i don't want anything else yeah. Well, yeah, but that's you know the the right. whole the whole thing is that that's exactly what the what this whole model is predicated off of, and you know when you have when you have like a company like Ubisoft that is making an Assassin's Creed, a Rainbow Six, a Division, um, and like a Far Cry, and all these games are are kind of designed in a way that make them a sort of games as service, like you have all these different now you have all these different genres and all these different like. Um, styles of gameplay but they're all competing for the same kind of goal which is to be that kind of service 
Yeah, that's a that's a good point, actually. Um, I hadn't thought about it that way. Like, sure, you get one player hooked on one game, spending money consistently on it, but they're not buying or playing any no, of your No, and then titles. what happens, you know, years down the road when people stop playing your game and servers get shut down and marketplaces get shut down? Everything that you invested your money and time into are mm-hmm. worth nothing. Or you're just going to have studios basically being like one game studios where all of their manpower and infrastructure is built towards maintaining one system rather than a whole bunch of different offerings. Yeah, and don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm sh- like that's fine in itself if you want to have one big game as service and you want to, you know, support it for a long period of time. But, you know, if you ask me, that's the kind of thing that really does cause – um like stagnation within the industry now because now you don't have developers and and, you know coming up with new ideas for these like more contained little small uh experiences um you have people just focusing you're just gonna get you're just gonna get expanded versions and content for stuff that's already there 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 won't be as much innovation or new ips no exactly And, and like yeah i can't i can't see that being a model that's really worth chasing right now or or chasing in the long term but you know such is the game industry that uh they can't uh they can't see the forest for the or from the tree for the trees from the trees yeah it's always just yeah i've never really it's always just it's always just chasing trends right so like everyone right now is interested in the battle royales because they're seeing how successful those are and it's the battleground everyone's fighting for because it's so unoptimized right now. And everyone's just thinking like, Hey, if we create a better experience, then all those players are just going to jump to us. It's always fighting for that retention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I'm worried about is, is games becoming like the way everybody's freaking out about net neutrality is that, uh, you know, you'll, you'll have these developers locking you into one thing that you have to pay for. Um, and you won't be able to do, you know, you won't be able to afford three, four or five different ones a month, even if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I don't see, I, you know, that that does concern me, but I don't know how much I could uh, 100% worry about that, at least not in the like AAA console gaming sphere, just because like I can't mm-hmm. imagine anyone even would just go for that. Like, I mean, like, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, when you have these uh, like... Consoles are a lot more contained. It's a smaller experience. You're not going to have a game like World of Warcraft that had like a million people on it at one time. And you're going to need like monthly revenue to support like upkeep on servers and all that stuff like that. Like I can't I I feel like these kinds of games would be like at least on console anyway. um, You know, they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to justify a monthly subscription now granted what how far they they go into like you know things like you play and uh and those secondary proprietary uh like um membership things that you need and then whatever comes with that that's a whole different story i think yeah i would say in the console space that games of services right now are more we're just experimenting it's PC that's really taken off with them and, and, and has held on to them for years, whether it was mm-hmm. whether it was Dota or Counter-Strike. But uh, with consoles, it's like, yeah, there's going to be your Assassin's Creed Origins, your Far Cry 5, where these are fundamentally single-player experiences, and they're going to supply it with a Seasons Pass. But I don't think it's ever going to go as far as 
this is the service we want you to come back to like for mm-hmm. years at a time because people just want like that next massive campaign they don't want to follow around uh in egypt for two to three years they want something new like within two true yeah see but that's that's exactly like the i think what makes it so dangerous right like you know with um with the pc crowd and stuff like uh like dota and league because even even when those things came out like those kind of like arena based multiplayer things were kind of a trend at the time and there were some like some developers were kind of chasing it and trying to make things that were like um dota and that but like I think those yeah, are like for Epic a little Mate bit. Paragon. Yeah, you know, and even wasn't um, wasn't uh, Battleborn or whatever kind of like that too. Oh, Battleborn, and I think yeah, oh, Lawbreakers yeah. almost to an extent, but that was kind of chasing that Overwatch. Yeah, but even wasn't Overwatch kind of a kind of a Dota chaser to some degree as well? Like, no, not really. Not really, I didn't. Really it was more either. of. If I were to compare it to any game, Overwatch is definitely Team Fortress Two inspired. Team oh, Fortress, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like a, just a class-based team arena shooter kind of thing. But yeah, I think, all about team um, composition and how you really manage it. But I think yeah. I think at least in the PC sphere, there's a bit more of uh, like it's a bit more um, rigid, and people are a lot more like people are a lot more experimental in the way that even with you know because when you mentioned like Counter Strike before, I think part of what makes Counter Strike so enjoyable and and the fact that it didn't really need to be um, sequelized or serialized is the fact that yeah, like the, you know, content was still being released for it, but then there was such a huge mod community for it too. So people were adding their own content to it. Um, I feel that's mm-hmm. more Gary's mod than Counter Strike, though. Yeah, but people like were... it definitely applied to earlier Counter Strike, but. Yeah. I would say that when Gary's mod came out, that is when they really took off with it and started like messing with things and creating entirely new experiences. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I guess that's that's kind of where without mentioning Gary's mod by name, like that's kind of where I was going with that. Um I see. But the like But also like the games as a service thing takes away the agency from the player in that respect. Like people aren't gonna be able to get as creative when they're constantly being drip fed new things to keep them occupied. They're, they're not going to be motivated to go and create wholly new experiences when like, oh, well, whatever. I got a new gun and a new hat this month. Yeah. I'll just play for this and then I'll do something. And that's exactly what it preys upon, right? It preys upon that that desire for like those little just small, um, mm-hmm. small rewards. Like, you know, you kind of forget that you're not really adding your own creativity to an experience when, you know, you're just constantly being like given these little treats and you just, you know, it's just it's it's. It's just satisfying that part in your brain that wants those like small little like congratulations. Um, but uh, yeah, well, you know, if you're idle hands, if you don't have them idle and you're constantly occupied, you're not going to be oh exactly creative at all. And I think, but that's another reason the industry is probably doing that. Like, why allow people? Why give people the time to make their own content when we can make it Absolutely. and charge them? For well, it? you know, uh, one other thing I just wanted to say. Um, in relation to what Cole said about like people wanting bigger experiences, I don't disagree with you, but the thing that I think like is weird is that that's not how this whole like business model works, right? Like the idea is to keep players exactly like it's about keeping players hooked for as long as they can, as you can 
so that they're you know spending money potentially and you know and keeping with the service if their desire is to get a new game then like then your whole games of service business model didn't work (laughs) not Mm -hmm. exactly i would say that most games of services now don't work on the weekly basis as much as they do on the monthly uh, because they do know that there are those experiences that people want to play, whether it's a new God of War, whether it's a uh, different kind of open world experience or single player experience. Uh, they prepare for that and make it so that even if you just invest an hour of time into the experience, they feel like they hooked you. You're still you're still in our camp. We're, we're just giving yeah. you a little bit of recess time. And then we'll hit you with, okay, here's the new campaign for the games of service. And if you beat it, you get this new gun that everyone's going to be wowed by and such. But, but I, okay, I got questions about that because even when you look at a game like Monster Hunter World, um, you know, every day you get a login bonus and every week there's new like hunting challenges. So they're not playing the monthly long game. They're playing the get in every day because you want to get those vouchers. And while you're here, you know, maybe play a little bit more or like, you know, complete these, uh, these weekly quests quests. And you're like only playing our game. Now, granted monster hunter world obviously is not nearly as egregious because they're not trying to force like microtransactions and, and loot boxes down your throat. But, um, you know, the the whole mindset of get in every day, play a little bit and kind of don't think about the other stuff is kind of is definitely there. There, There's definitely. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, go ahead. Uh, It's definitely there with Monster Hunter, but they they do many things that if you don't like do the weekly quests and get the Ryu costume, like perfect example for like on april 6th starts the uh spring festival and every quest that you didn't like get a chance to experience is open in that festival for you to experience so even though me as a first week player i got this new costume uh it's not locked out for people who bought the game a month later they're going to give you those opportunities yeah no no like when it comes to the Sorry, sorry. Go when it ahead. comes to no problem, when it when it comes to the lucky tickets, those actually stack up for upwards of five days. So they don't need you to j- jump in every day. They're just saying we want you to dedicate a little time, and it's okay if you miss a day. We still have your login bonus for you. No, absolutely, and that's what I mean. Like they're definitely not like they're not like as bad as some of the like as some other uh these like these games of service but you know you can definitely oh, yeah. see how how the mindset and how the, the structure is there like oh yeah like i completely disagree with how the division handles it and how destiny handles it mm-hmm. i think that those take it way too far where destiny feels like a very incomplete game until you get those expansion passes or until yeah. or until you get those uh, modifiers to your skins and such. Well, yeah, but you know, and that's the whole thing is that Destiny Two um, being built like that. I mean, it was it was ingrained right into its DNA, right? Like, you know, oh, yeah. they were throttling XP to kind of like get you in playing every day to yeah. give you that, um, you know, kind of give you that. I don't want to say you know 
that it was a it was a forcible thing, but it sure seems that way. Um, like that kind of frustration that you're not leveling fast enough, so you might go over to the Eververse and spend some money and get the stuff you want. Um, one hundred percent. And yeah. and even even in even right down to like you know the fact that you never got anything that was wholly tangible, right? Like all of the rewards you got for leveling up and getting and playing every day were loot boxes. It was all random. Yeah. So what does that do? That makes you want to play more and maybe invest more time and possibly invest money into it. Like, I, I would, but that's why Destiny Two got so much backlash, though. Eventually, yeah, it took a while, but people realized they were like, you know what, this is this is not fun, and they're they're doing all these kind of insidious, sneaky things behind the scenes to keep me playing. So. I'm not going to play anymore. Yeah, like if you even look at the Twitch numbers, Destiny 2 is dramatically fallen compared to what 1 was. Like one oh, had, for sure. One had this like amazingly dedicated community. Destiny 2 said, well, we want to appeal to the casuals. We want to get everyone in now. And it's a dramatic failure. It did get a lot of success due to its microtransactions. But I don't think that Initially. was the, yeah. yeah. I don't think that was the dedicated fan base who was getting into that. I think it was the casual fan base. Well, and that's and that's the whole uh, that's the whole trick, right? It's like that's exactly and you know and you uh, to I guess to a lesser extent, although it's not really a a similar comparison. Like that's what happened uh, a little bit with uh, Shadow of War, right? Like they had their financial success with. But it was more loot boxes than anything that was games of service related. But they got it in those initial months when they needed it. And then, you know, months later, we could say, okay, we're going to take that out now because it doesn't, you know, doesn't line up with the core values of our game and yada, yada, yada. Destiny. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we made our money. Now people are mad. But we'll take it out to make you happy. Oh, yeah. And and Destiny 2 was the exact same thing, except, you know, except its whole model was built on trying to convince people to do that on a daily, weekly basis. Yeah. And so how about this? We're going to take a little break right here. Hear a little word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more leading up from what we just said about the sustainability of this. Ooh, things are getting interesting now. Man, I wish I could get new comics every month, but I'm broke and oddly always $5 short. Lame. Wait, five bucks short, you say? Well, I've got something special for you. What the hell was that? It's me, the discount ghost of Coupons Past. Are you scared? What the f- Use the code CGMEG in all caps, all one word, to get $5 off your next Comic Bento subscription. So wait, if I use the code CGMEG, all in caps, all one word, I get $5 off my next Comic Bento? Yes, use the code CGMEG in all caps, all one word, and get $5 off your next Comic Bento. A whole $5, eh? Now that's scary. The Pixels and Ink Podcast is brought to you by Buns, your city network. Buns connects you to the people in your neighborhood to help you find the things you need to fuel your real life. Swap things you already have to get items you need. You can also find jobs that pay the bills, homes for rent, advice, and a place to talk about your city. Buns is available online at buns.com and on your phones via the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. All right, and thanks again to our sponsors, the Buns Podcast Network and Comic Bento. So, where we left off, we were just discussing sort of the the, the general business model of the games as service. So, this leads me to my next question. Is this sustainable? Initially, I would say no. 
Uh, I don't know, man. I would say yes. Look at Netflix's model. Um, nobody thought that would be sustainable, and then now it's like the future. Um, people just want things available. They're willing to pay, you know, a little bit of money every month to get a bit more of what they already like. Um, I think, and speaking of revenue, like we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, uh, when, uh, take two and Ubisoft released all those earnings reports and it shows that, yeah, man, it's, it's definitely, you're right. Maybe a couple years, we'll see if it goes any differently, but it only seems to be increasing. My worry, like, and, and, and I did mention this a little bit throughout the podcast is realistically is, and now that I think about it, we did kind of, this was what we were talking a little bit before with uh, between like Shadow of War and Destiny 2 is it's, it doesn't seem sustainable to me because it's, it's very, it's, it's only really based on the short term, right? You know, when you, when you look at those, um, the, like the terminology that's used by some of the game publishers, like, or some game publishers, um, like, you know, you have the whales, the dolphins and the minnows, right? You know, people who, the small amount of people who are willing to spend huge amounts of cash on um, like DLC and updates and stuff like that. That to me is what's, is what says to me that it's not going to work. Like, you know, destiny Two, Yeah. It made a lot of money in, in its inception because you had people like who, who were sort of desperate for, for like weapons and desperate for these ingrams. So they were spending money, but over time, you know, more and more the the larger fan base and the larger player base weren't into it and they weren't spending money. And that's exactly why these things dipped off. But again, we go back to games like Counter-Strike and the MOBAs and ones that have a Rainbow Six Siege that have been fundamentally unchanged for like years and years and still have throngs of people paying for new items and uh maps etc true but you know would you would you trust any modern triple a game to be like to make a a games of service like counter-strike or dota (laughs) i mean they're certainly trying yeah but uh name name one game (laughs) well destiny 2 would be that trial with bungie and activision but it just the reason why it fails is because people identified the scumminess in it and they just said, no, we don't want to support this and jump to Monster Hunter. That's where primarily all of them have jumped. But mm-hmm. uh, when I identify games as service, I, I look at I look at dev and community management as a primary as a primary element of whether this is going to be successful, because I find that with sustainability, it's really dependent on. If, if it's an active player base, if it's a dedicated one with a rich community, whether that be on Reddit or Tumblr or any of those kind of platforms, but then it's also the devs coming out and saying, okay, we've identified problems that you have listed. Uh, here is our roadmap for the kind of content updates that we are projecting for the game in the foreseeable future, uh, as well as being at the forefront of this is what we expect you to pay for. And this is the free content that we're giving to you. Yeah, I'm, I would, I would a hundred percent agree with you and, you know, not, it, it, I don't want to, I don't want to seem like we're harping on destiny too, too much, but you know, they're kind of the, oh, I hate it. they're the prime example <laughs> of how not to do this because that, again, that was the same thing, you know? Um, and you can see with them, 
how it didn't work because every time there was a problem that people were addressing, you know, Bungie came out and said, we're hearing you, we're going to fix it. And every time they, you know, quote unquote, fixed it, they made things a hundred times worse. So it just, it went through that sort of like what, you know, what people on Reddit were calling like the Bungie, the Bungie cycle, right? Like, you know, apologize, say you're listening to concerns, roll out a patch that somehow breaks the game again. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I wouldn't even say there's a Bungie curse. That seems to be any major developers curse. Just like, don't worry, we're listening. And then they change a little bit, but they don't really change much. Oh, yeah, but but, the, but that was like, happening every time with, with Destiny yeah. 2. That was literally every yeah. patch they rolled out. Now, do you, do you think then console players are more uh, vocal in their displeasure with these kind of systems, whereas PC players seem to be kind of cool with it? I think or am, PC I, am I misreading players- things? I think PC players are more experienced with the disappointment at times where it's like, okay, this is broken. It's going to be, it's going to be fixed like within a week. But with how the console mind space is, is that these patches could roll out within a month because of, because they have to go through a whole system to even apply a patch to their game. See, I don't know. I don't know if it's, if it has anything to do with um, between console and PC gamers. I think it's just the, you know the 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 gamers themselves and maybe the age bracket because it seems to me like a larger percentage of gamers who like who are um you know who actually have quarrels with this stuff are like in you know the like 20 to 30 like age bracket right and they're a lot more active and and aware of the um like avenues that are available to them to voice concerns and like you know and people who are a lot when these you know a lot of these people too are a lot more like like um competently active on social media i want to say yeah and Mm -hmm. i i use my cousin as an example for this um he's 14 uh i think now 14 or 15 anyway um avid pc player um who never even thinks about these kind of things being a problem no i might and my, yeah. my cousin and also like he's yeah he's grown up with the, these systems kind of already in place and he can't really see how manipulative it is in a lot of ways also a lot of that i feel is due to you know when you're an adult you are a lot more aware of your finances and where your money's going every month and what's important to spend it on so on and so forth when you're a kid it's like oh whatever who cares i want this new hat it's only 10 bucks oh 100 yeah. um you know and yeah like my 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 cousin too is big gamer uh he's probably what like uh like yeah like 13 or 14 now and it's the same thing like like i think it was like like months ago he asked me why i don't play destiny anymore and i was like have you not heard all the terrible things that have been happening with this game and like he was blissfully unaware he's like oh i don't know i still think it's fun i'm like yeah you think it's fun because that's exactly what they're trying to do they're manipulating you Mm. yeah but how many games does he get a year um if you were to say (sighs) because i find that many people who jump on to games of service it's like that's the only game i could afford like if that was like a child for instance is like i can only get four to five games a year i want to make sure that i have a lot of time invested in them instead of okay just a small indie experience that i can beat in an hour no you know he he does get games with some frequency but it's really just more the general like um 
they want to play what's popular and what their friends are playing exactly or like you know, yeah, what the yeah, streamers yeah. are playing you know what the streamers are playing yeah exactly and that's the thing is that it, it, it wasn't so much it wasn't really <laughs> and that's the thing that surprised me is that it wasn't so much um you know the fact that he was like well yeah that's but that's fine i still like the game anyway it's like he like genuinely had no idea despite the fact that like he goes on the internet he goes on youtube uh like he but like he just wasn't paying attention to the people who were actually talking about all these problems yeah so like you know so that's a thing um <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> yeah, and so that's what I, and that's why I, I, I almost think then that you know to a certain degree, maybe I have to, I have to somewhat concede with Quinn and think, you know what, this probably is sustainable because there are enough people who would be ignorant to it, um, and they're only getting more. And like with with the the people who grew up with these kind of uh, systems in place, not just for gaming but for media in general, that's what that's what they're used to. They're not used to going out and spending a certain amount of money on a complete experience. They're used to paying a little bit consistently for a constantly updated experience. Whether you're streaming music, movies, or games as a service, I know they're they're not entirely comparable. But the fact of the matter is that you're spending a little bit of money every month for these things rather than once in a while going out and buying, spending a, a bigger chunk on something. And I think financially speaking for a company, they want more of that. They want people every month, a little bit of money coming in, more people you get, more little bits of money rather than once in a while, some guy spends 60 bucks. Yeah. I think um, the reason, probably the main reason why I feel that this isn't sustainable has a lot to do with um, like gamers themselves and sort of like the fact that like like Cole kind of hit on a little bit before, um, they want unique experiences. They want, you know, you want the game you get to be or the game you bought to be the game you got. You know what I mean? Um, and I yeah. and I look at um, mm-hmm. if anyone is interested, please the, just Google the and before I say anything else, this isn't me ragging on. Ubisoft specifically, but it's more just the mind frame of this business model. But yeah, take the time, Google like Ubisoft games of service slideshow. It's a read and a half, but you know, jump over to to slide 12 and this is what you see. You know, it's the idea, it's, it's their sort of their, their business model from past to present. And it's, you know, from a game to a platform. And in the past you have a game which is scary you know it's worrying um and in the future the present you have live services you know and you just look at the the things that are moving from the past to today you have hit driven and cyclical business to recurring revenue business you know yep. low user engagement to high user engagement which let's be honest there was never you know a problem with with user engagement in old games okay Tons of people were playing Call of Duty. It didn't need to be a live service. Um, you know, the idea of going from developer-centric to player-centric because that's what you want. And the thing, um, you know, the thing that bothers me the most is right at the very bottom where it says digital first, more predictable and cash generative business model. 
And that's the problem is that you're taking mm-hmm. the focus away from making games, which let's be fair. Yeah, they're products, but they are also like, you know, pieces of entertainment, pieces of art. And you're trying to boil them down into something that is going to give you a consistent cash flow for a long period of time. And it's not going to work. It's a bubble and it will burst because people don't want that. And I don't think that mo- that a lot of these uh, publishers who are trying to jump on this boat thinking that it's going to make them a billions of billions of dollars, and it probably will, but it, it's gonna it's gonna run out because at some point you're gonna get sick of playing the same thing over and over just because every week or every month you might get a new mission or a new gun, but it's all still taking place in the same world. It's all still you know the same kind of stuff. And like like I said before, like you know just look at what Assassin's Creed. And like Far Cry and Rainbow Six, or not Rainbow Six, uh, like Ghost Recon and um, wasn't there one more? Uh, Whatever. Splinter Cell. Splinter Cell. Like they're all the same game. Even though they're different, the way that their missions play out, the way that their stories play out, the way that everything works is the same. And that's, you know, that homogenization in, in the name of a live service is what's going to end up killing it. I don't know. I think it'll just be uh, less frequent sequels. I think it's the... Oh, sorry, Brennan, you can continue. Both. No, Cole, that's all good. Go ahead. How I identify it is that I think that this is the hot new trend of, hey, everyone needs to make a games a service. But only few will see success. And I think those are actually the independents, whether that is uh, Riot Games and all those who have already shown success. But I think like EA, they don't know how to do it right. They will just be very scummy. Ubisoft has proven with Rainbow Six that they do know how to handle it properly. But how long they'll drive that game, I have no idea. Their roadmap seems a little unclear. Yes, once once people kind of start, or once people drop yeah. off, I guess, like once numbers hit a certain amount, they'll be like, all right, well, we'll slowly phase it out and bring on the next big thing. But the numbers don't really drop like off, though. That's the whole thing, because even, like, you know, people love... They do. How many people are playing World of Warcraft now uh, compared it's... to, like, their peak numbers? That gen- gen- you know genuine what? That's, question, um, not... That's... It went down dramatically, but then they put in a new expansion and people came back. I'm sure. Did uh, they haven't? Have they rolled out the the vanilla update again? I don't think so, but I'm I'm not sure. I remember. Remember they were gonna. It was like a yeah, like the World of Warcraft Classic or something, where they basically like let you play like first year World of Warcraft. No, I think, uh, yeah, my cousin, it's, it's getting her back in. But there you go. There's another thing. You could literally release the original version of the game 10 years later. Right after, and after modders did that themselves and they had to get shut down for it. Well, again, man, you got to control your content. I, I I don't blame Blizzard for that at all. I mean, it sounds scummy, but it's not. It's their revenue stream. It's their money. It's their content. Why wouldn't they do that and then release it and make a ton of money again? But there you go, Jordan. There's what. There's why I think it's sustainable. 
because you'll have 10 to 15 years of a game until it starts to drop numbers and then you remove all the modifications and changes you made over that decade release the original one under like a classic or golden age moniker and boom um okay well i'm looking at i I don't know how uh how um apparently blizzard doesn't really release based on yeah uh, i'm looking at something i don't know how accurate it is but it looks like world of warcraft saw its peak numbership at yeah we're at wrath of the lich king and then after and then pretty much anything after that it was just a steady decline there was a small peak when mists of pandaria came out and then it was a decline and then a, another peak um, yes. at warlords of draenor and then it was just straight down so mm-hmm. um so people will and, eventually you know, and, get bored of it but then but they'll still consume the content. Yeah. Even if it's a little peak, it's enough that they're like, wow, that was actually profitable for and, us. And who's Let's to do it again next year. Yeah, it's probably very little work still once everything's kind of up and running and maintained. Yeah. You could probably automate a ton of those systems, give a lot of player agency control, like, oh, we'll let you guys well, handle and that's, everything. That's what I wanted know? to say is that, you know, in, in at least in relation to something like World of Warcraft, who's, you know, it's, it's hard to say whether or not that's 100% because people just got you know, bored of it um, because I jumped back into World of Warcraft maybe like a year ago just to, just because I got an itch to play it again. And like, it's it's dramatically different and it's like so streamlined that even I was like, this is kind of not fun anymore because they took out all the complexity that made it fun. Now it's just like baby's first MMO. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that had something to do with it. Maybe they, it was just, it was, a, it was less like, a retention problem and more like they you know failed to keep the players that had already been with them that whole time hooked on the thing and they kept changing it to the point where it doesn't resemble the thing you loved in the first place but that could just be an unfortunate side effect of the constant need to continue like updating this updating these things and adding content and subtracting content like at some point it's it's going to be some sort of like you know amalgamation it's not going to resemble the thing you liked. That's, well, I think amalgamation is a perfect word, actually, for just, I, I think, kind of the theme of what we were going here as far as sustainability. Um, you're not going to have new releases constantly every single year anymore, but nor are you going to just sit back and rest on your laurels with one IP raking in the cash until it doesn't. You're going to have to, like the companies will have to do both. I think it's inevitable that the games as a service model will continue in combination with, you know, classic models that do work. Yeah. As in, you know, releasing a good sequel once in a while, a fresh take, a new IP. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So then, you know what, maybe just to, uh, to end off this podcast and sort of uh, to build a little bit more on what you were just saying, uh, Quinn, what do you guys think then, like, how do you build a successful games of service? I know we did, we did talk about it sort of briefly, but let's just get a good definitive answer. Hmm. I think Cole nailed it on the head earlier. It's just uh, listening to the players, giving them a little bit more of what they want. Yeah. But it also has time. to be quality. Like, yeah, of course. Took, yeah, if we took World of Warcraft, like the reason why it peaked at Lich King and then dramatically dropped is no one liked Cataclysm. Everyone thought it was a joke. Yeah. And then when you look at PUBG, they release the only thing PUBG can release is crates and maps. The desert map comes out, people are pissed. And yeah. 
and now their numbers are dropping and going to Fortnite. That and don't get caught out doing shady shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, Destiny. Be on the up and up. That's that's rule number yeah, one. I, <laughs> yeah, keep keep things on the table. You know, pay, players will pay money for all sorts of stuff. Just don't get busted being manipulative and sneaky behind the scenes, because then yeah. they will be. Mad. And I think um, keep keep things honest. Listen to what they want. Give it to them. Charge them for it. There's your game. Yeah, and I think and I think yeah. too many like right now we are kind of uh, I think almost like just stuck in a in a model where it seems like the games of service kind of thing that all they can offer are like you know costumes and weapons and stuff like um, yeah. you know some some kind of some kind of like uh, like hook some kind of you know quality drastic uh, like change you know it has to be. Some- but not too well, drastic. Well, not too drastic. People, people don't like things that are totally new. <laughs> well, well, another thing they add now with those guns and skins is that they actually put value on them. Like with Counter Strike, some gun skins go for upwards of four hundred, five hundred dollars. Well, that's a whole like, other. It's just that's a, a whole other weird exactly. economy but, that we could talk about. <laughs> like, but that is something that they want in a games for service. Hell yeah, because people will be scrambling to get the new thing in case it's rare, becomes hot, and then they can sell it for real actual money later on. Exactly. Yeah, um, you know, I think uh, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, I, do you think I was uh, I was looking at something that was not uh, not the right time? No, I think I think like definitely having something that that sets you apart, you know too like that's it seems like such an obvious thing to say but realistically yeah like you know PUBG comes out and everyone tries to be the next PUBG. like you know you're you're and it's you know what's you know what's what i think is weird is that no one really tried to copy uh like warframe like warframe is a game of service that we haven't really talked about throughout this and it's like it is so unique in its own way Man, it's a great one, and, you too. know. So, like, that's you know what I mean. To try, try to try to be try to be a Warframe. Don't try to be like a you know a Fortnite. <laughs> oh yeah, don't no, try don't, to be no. like a Fortnite, Fortnite? The game oh. that's making tons and tons of cash, uh, has the highest streaming and Twitch numbers. Don't don't be like that. Well, you know, be <laughs> like them, but see, like, <laughs> no, there's a perfect example. It's okay to be a Fortnite. Don't be an H one Z one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Instead of yeah. instead of fixing your game. No, we're going to focus on yeah. crates. Yeah, exactly. Gonna... Fix what's broken before. It. Make a good gameplay experience before you start Cut the game packs. in half and sell it. <laughs> Two separate packs. Okay. Well, well I think uh, I think we just about covered it. Which which yeah. which is a surprise. I didn't think we'd get a whole hour out of this. <laughs> but we did. <laughs> Way to go, boys! Yeah, we did it. We can do, we can do anything. Well, why don't we make our own games of service? Uh, no experience with coding or design. Why don't we make our own podcast as service? We'll we have should. One should pay to solid to podcast, and then we'll just put little like little updates to every on the end. Yeah, of it. watch out, Buns <laughs> Network. We're coming for you. Yeah. We should probably delete this so people don't steal our idea. Yeah, okay. I'm getting edited <laughs> out. 
<laughs> well, thanks for listening, guys. And if you like what you hear and want to know more about the things we talked about, visit us at cgmagonline.com uh, and subscribe to our podcast on Bun's Podcast ne- Network, iTunes, or any of your favorite podcast apps. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, CG at just type in CG Magazine, uh, Instagram at CG Mag Online, and Twitter also at CG Mag Online. Feel free to get into those comments too. Let us know what you think. We're going to pass the question off to you. What do you think about games as service? Do you like them? Do you think that they work? Do you agree with me wholeheartedly? Of course you do. <laughs> These Someone's got to be at the cold camp. Come on. <laughs> And I'm here also. <laughs> just, you're just here to fill this, the the air, Quinn. That's all we need. To do. That's, that's that's what I'm here to do in we life. We can't do this. Fill, fill dead air. Just two men. We need three. All right. Well, everybody, it's been wonderful. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Where are you going, man? You got to plug your I, your social medias. My social media. That my name is Brendan Quinn. I don't use Twitter. I have an Instagram, but I'm not giving it Dude, out. You got to get on Twitter, you man. Really really go to the cg mag one so that's where all the fun stuff is at and jordan's and Cole's. i feel like you would really thrive on twitter you're you're salty no man. i think it would kill me no dude <laughs> you're a salty guy that's why, that's why i live in a small mountain town i need to get away from things that agitate me i'm getting older jordan it's not good for my health well i have a twitter and you can follow me at at ninja jordan underscore cole at Kaiser underscore Watson. And you can catch past episodes of Pixels and Ink on YouTube. You can also get uh, past episodes of Coffee and Cartridges on cgmagonline.com. So subscribe to our channel, please. Let us then, you know, get some good content from then. So thanks again to the Buns Podcast Net- Cast Network and Comic Bento for sponsoring this podcast. And from everyone at CG Magazine and the Coffee and Cartridges crew, have a great week. <laughs>